Hi, this is Timothy Pig, and I want to welcome you to Text Driven Podcast, a podcast put out by the Ministry of Fellowship Church in Southwest Florida. Text Driven Podcast exists to equip you to know God and make Him known through text driven preaching and practice. To learn more about Fellowship Church, visit our website, fellowshipchurch.co. this episode of Texture of Podcast, we're going to continue looking at Edward T. Welch's book, When People Are Big and God is Small. And what we've been looking at over the last few podcasts is the concept of the fear of man. So the premise of Welch's book is very simple. Uh, his premise is we get into trouble when we begin to see people in our lives as bigger than God. So what he's trying to do is take our assumptions that people can control us and flip that so that we see that people are actually small in comparison to how big God is. And in the opening chapter, what does he do? He, he defines the fear of man for us. And then he goes and he deals with several types of fear of man. He deals with the shame uh, version of the fear of man, how we are scared that we're going to be exposed and we're shameful uh, before other people. So we hide ourselves behind our resumes and our talents and our skill sets. And we make up these fantasies about ourselves that we lie to other people so that they will not see really who we truly are. And in that uh, fear of exposure, we did go back to Genesis and we looked at how Adam and Eve, when they had sinned, they were exposed. They saw their exposure. And what did they do? They grabbed the things of this world and they covered themselves with uh, fig leaves and they sewed for themselves clothing. And, and here was the ultimate reality that we realized in this, uh, in the shame, uh, exposure, fear. We realize that before God, we are exposed. God is holy. He sees through all of our facade and we are exposed in our sin before him. And that's a bad thing because the Bible tells us that the penalty for our sin is death. So because of our exposure before God, we deserve death. However, we know, just as in the book of Genesis, God made a provisional clothing for Adam and Eve through the sacrifice of an animal and clothing them in skins of an animal, that later on, God would send his son who would die on a cross as our sacrifice for our sins. So no longer do we uh, have to be before God exposed in our sin. We can actually be clothed in the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all of our sins, and we can be clothed in Jesus's righteousness. So that's what we looked at first. We looked at the exposure fear, the shame fear. And then we looked at, in the next uh, episode, rejection. Uh, we, we fear being rejected by people. Uh, so what do we do? We, we try every way that we can to be accepted by them. Uh, if there's the cool person at our job or maybe your kids uh, know of a group at school that's the cool kids, they will adjust their behavior. They will adjust their hobbies, the things they like, what they wear, how they talk in order to be accepted by people in this world. And essentially what's happening uh, those cool kids, that cool group of people, they are controlling your behavior. They are controlling who you 
are. They are uh, making you do something so that you will be accepted by them. And, and the reason why we do that is because we fear rejection. We do not want to be rejected. We do not want to be isolated. We want to be liked by people and we want to be accepted by people. Well, what we're going to do in this episode, that's where we've been, and what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to uh, look at some of the cultural assumptions that contribute to the fear of man. And this is going to come out of chapter 5 of Welch's book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. So if you have your book, you can be able to follow along with me. If you don't, I'll give you the page number so that you can note it in your own mind. But I want to start with this quote. He begins on page 73. Alexis de Tocqueville said this, Individualism at first only saps the virtues of public life, but in the long run it attacks and destroys all others and is at length absorbed in downright selfishness. Selfishness is a vice as old as the world. Individualism is of democratic origin. Now, what is the Tocqueville saying? The Tocqueville is saying that individualism is a synonym for selfishness. Or to put it in biblical language, individualism is a synonym for pride. So what we're going to find out in what the world wants me, why the world wants me to fear people, how the world contributes to the fear of man in our lives, we're going to see this, this ugly root of pride and selfishness that is in our lives. And Welch begins on page 73 with this statement. We do not need to be persuaded or manipulated to put our hope in people more than God. The fear of man is something we do naturally. Since the fall, it is a human instinct. Now notice what he's saying there. He's saying that nobody taught you to view people as big and God is small. Nobody taught you to be controlled by other people and to not be controlled by God. That, that is a human instinct. That is a natural thing that we do. That comes from inside us, not from outside us. And he goes on and he, he says at the bottom of page 73, the Bible warns that there is a quiet sub-biblical pattern to the world that begs us to conform to it. So the world itself is working in order to promote the fear of man instead of a fear of God. He says on page 74 at the bottom of that first section, the world tempts our hearts to live for the approval of of others. And isn't that true? Does not the world live, uh, operate in such a way that it tempts us, that it charms us, that it uh, brings us in to live for the approval of other people? So what is the way that this occurs? Well, uh, our, he says on page 74, how does the world, our corporate flesh, encourage the fear of man? He gives some examples. One example that he gives is the culture of victimization. Now, let me read this to you. The culture of victimization is that it's always another person's fault. 
It's to say you are responsible for my actions. We blame other people for our culture of victimization. We say something like the lawyers did it. They victimized us into this culture of victimization. Now, to put victimization in a, in a little bit different language, listen to what he says on page 74. The implications of such blame shifting. Now, victimization is blame shifting. We are saying that other people control our behavior. So let me just parse this out for you. When we use the word victimization or blame shifting, what we're saying is someone else made me do it. Now, this is a, this is a problem as old as Genesis chapter 3. You remember when God came and spoke to Adam and Eve? What did they do? They blame shifted. He, he talked to Adam first, and Adam said, it was the woman whom you gave me. He talked to Eve, and Eve said it was the serpent. It was blame shifting. What they were saying was, I'm not responsible for my action because another person or being, in this case, Eve or the serpent, made me do it. Which means that uh, if I do have a problem with the fear of man, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Fault. And this is blame shifting. This is very prevalent in our culture. Uh, another uh, observation that could be made about how this fear of man is in our uh, culture is self-esteem. Listen to what he says on page 74. The emphasis on self-esteem also contributes to the fear of man. This is the last paragraph on 74. For example, even though most self-esteem books indicate that it is something you can develop by yourself, almost all the books also say that one of the best ways to raise your self-esteem is to achieve some successes, which are then compared to what, quote, others, end quote, do. Or to surround yourself with other people who affirm you, which leaves you dependent on, quote, their opinion, close quote. So if you have money, your self-esteem can be inflated by a warm, empathetic therapist. So notice what he says there. Self-esteem. Uh, if you have this success, that success is compared to somebody else, which means that other person's success or lack thereof is what is controlling your mind. It's controlling your thoughts. It's controlling what you perceive as good, which means you're viewing people as big and God then as small. Listen to what he says on page 75. He says, for example, since our culture has taught us to think individually rather than corporately, we are prone to think about me rather than us. That's why the whole concept of church has become very consumeristic because we are viewing the church as just me instead of us being a part of a corporate gathering together that represents the body of Christ. Well, he goes on later in this chapter. He deals with a lot of uh, incredible things, but, but let me share this with you on page 79. He says this, anything that erodes the fear of God. So as culture, we just showed that through self-esteem, through victimization, through, through that type of blame shifting, it is eroding the notion of the fear of God. So he says, anything that erodes the fear of God will intensify the fear of man. 
So here's what he's getting at. The more you remove God from culture will be the more you increase culture's fear of man. So if God is removed, if he is eroded out of culture, the epidemic that you will have in the world will be a fear of other people. Listen to what he says on page 79. He says, if our culture is misguided in its understanding of God, then it will be misguided in its understanding of people who are made in his image. Now, isn't that true? Does not our culture have a poor understanding of who man actually is? Let me share with you some of the things that culture says man is that the Bible says the opposite of, okay? He lists these out, but let me give them to you. On page 79, he says, uh, we are morally good, that, that human beings are just morally good. You talk to anybody on the street, they're not going to tell you they're a bad person. They're going to say, you know what, I, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I, I do good things. There's this idea that innate within them is this concept that they are just morally good. So then how do you find truth? How do you find morality? Morality is no longer found outside of man in uh, concrete biblical revelation of who God is. Instead, morality is found within the person. So now instead of having an objective truth, we have a subjective truth. Uh, Listen to what he says here. Samuel Coolidge wrote it this way, page 79. We begin with the I know myself in order to end with the absolute I am. We proceed from the self in order to lose and find all self in God. There was no longer any need to look outside the self, either to God or other people, for what is true. For truth now is found in the person. Notice that. No longer are human beings made in the image of God. Now God has been made in the image of individual human beings. And that contributes, does it not, to the erosion of God and the increase of the fear of man. Here's another uh, commonly accepted cultural reality about who man is. Emotions are the way to truth. Listen to what he says. If I'm a good person who occasionally does bad things, then it follows that what I feel is also generally good. Feeling is all, said Faust. Feelings have become the inarticulate mutterings of the divine soul. To be morally upright is to do whatever your heart inspires you to do. When following inner impulses, this assumption declares we can do no wrong. We've heard the saying, haven't we? Just follow your heart. What we're saying by that is that inwardly, in our heart, in our feelings, in our emotions, we know what's best because we're naturally, morally good. This is how culture presents it. Hey, trust your gut. Trust your feelings. Trust your heart. If it sounds good, go with it. If it makes you feel good, then do it. This is the cultural assumptions that are eroding God out of our lives and increasing the fear of man when we think like this. 
He goes on, he, he shares another one. We, we talk about how in even our Bible studies, don't we? Uh, you might have seen modern Bible studies. You maybe are doing one at your own church and you will hear this question inevitably asked in all the Bible studies. How does this Bible verse make you feel? Now, let me just take an aside and say something. It doesn't matter how the verse makes you feel. What matters is what does the verse say? We must conform our lives to the objective truth of Scripture instead of taking Scripture and doing hermeneutical gymnastics so that it fits within the corruption of our lives. We end up taking the objective truth, making it subjective to say whatever we want it to say. As we erode God even out of our Bible studies, we are increasing the fear of man in our lives. And then we also, man is morally good, man is uh, naturally good, man is uh, all about his emotions. We get to this last one, that all people are spiritual. Everybody has their own way to God. This is what you will hear people say. When, when you make a truth claim, like, Genesis, uh, like John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. That verse is repulsive to our culture. Why? Because they'll look at you and say, yeah, that might be the truth for you, but the truth for me is going to be different. We have this synchronistic way to us that we just say, all roads are leading to heaven. The road that the Buddhist uh, is walking is leading to heaven. The road that the Hare Krishna follower is walking is leading to heaven. The road that the Mormon is walking is leading to heaven. The road that the uh, Muslim is walking is leading to heaven. That all roads are going to just end up in heaven. And, you, and it's all because you're a spiritual person. You just follow your heart. You're a naturally good individual and you'll just end up there. These are the, the truths that culture is sharing with us. It's eroding God out of the culture and increasing the fear of man. So, how do we overcome this? What do we do to overcome this fear of man? Real simple. We begin to conform our lives completely to the Word of God. We take our lives and we bring it to Scripture. And we let God's Word be the truth. We don't let our words be the truth. We completely let God's Word be the objective truth that guides us. We stop following our hearts. We stop following our emotions. We stop believing that we are uh, morally good people. And we start believing what God's Word says about us. I close with this verse. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm sure I've shared this with you before, but in light of today's discussion, it, it fits repeating. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your minds that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What do we do? We let God renew our minds daily as we spend time in His Word. We resolve to be text-driven in our life. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Text Driven Podcast. If you'd like to know more information uh, about Fellowship Church, I encourage you to visit our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co, where you'll find many resources just like this one. You'll find articles and information about Fellowship Church. And if you're ever in Southwest Florida, we would love to have you visit one of our worship services and come and be a part of what God's doing at Fellowship Church. Well, until next time, uh, when we chat again, I hope you're ha- you have a great day and I look forward to being back with you soon. God bless.